You are listening to the This Life Podcast with Dr. Drew Pinsky and me, Mike Catherwood. That's right. We're doing it this time. So check it out. Thanks for listening. You live. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Drew. Welcome to another uh, This Life. Hashtag you live. Uh, Mike Catherwood is our guest host today. And we have, again, from the Dopey Podcast, our friend Dave. Dopey Dave in the house. I prefer Dave from Dopey. Yeah, it doesn't sound as good, does it? Yeah, sorry about that. I think I'm going to take you off the short list for potential guests. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great, man. Excellent. I, I am doing great. I'm doing better than you, I guess, because you had a tooth extracted? Tooth extracted, coming off of the fever, but the, the upside was that fever. I didn't work for a little bit, which was nice. Fever a lot of time. What? Fever from what? I think um, my kids both got sick the last couple weeks, and then when the tooth got extracted, my immune system got compromised, but you would know better than me. Did you have any – well, you could have gotten an infection in your gums or your, even your, your bone. But did you, No, it, there was no infection. You know what it was? It was something called a liver blood clot in my mouth where it bled in this disgusting, like, patty of congealed blood oh! in my mouth for a day. Right. It was just – disgusting and uh hmm. you familiar with this kind of thing doctor sure. no painkillers for you no painkillers a boy talk about that but, um, we should talk about that talking, a little bit well what i was going to ask is and i think this is something that's important to get from the non-physician and that is you mentioned your kids dave i have this ongoing uh argument with myself how are you going to address addiction to your children and when is the right time it's an amazing question it's an amazing uh situation actually today my eight-year-old me and my my partner were not together for five years or something mm-hmm. and we weren't together because i was pretty much in and out you know what i mean i was not clean and uh i never explained that to my eight-year-old and this morning and we've been back together for three years and i've been clean for three and a half years and this morning, my eight-year-old was like, well, why didn't you live with us? And it was the first time it popped up. And uh, and my partner was like, well, daddy was sick. And my daughter was like, well, what did you have? And I'm very close with my eight-year-old daughter. Sure. And it's on the tip of my tongue to tell her. But I don't think she's ready to really hear, oh, hear it. Oh, I think, I think you can get a little bit into it. I do. I well, think how kids, would you recommend it? Because I, I, I was a little bit dumbfounded and I didn't want to – Well, you know, I have a great relationship with her and I didn't yeah. want to fuck it up. I, I would start with the brain condition. Like my, my brain wasn't right. It caused me to do certain things that were sick and I went away and got treatment. Keep it very matter of fact. We did. We said it was a mental thing and, and, and my – I wouldn't even my say, wife, I wouldn't say mental. Me. I wouldn't even say mental. I would say brain and stay very concrete in your descriptions of it. All right, I'll try that. Yeah. I mean, we're going to when do you when do you guys suppose it's it's right to tell a child of your addiction? Um I, I it's any age is appropriate to talk about brain conditions. Okay? So all kids want to know is why and they're thinking about why is again very concrete. So I was sick, I had a brain disorder, it required me to go away to get treatment. All they really want to know, I'm telling you Dave, all they really want to know is are you okay? That's really right. all well, they're that's asking. What you to know. Yeah, that's yeah, all they're that's asking. It. Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. Then, but what you got to follow that with is, if you have any more questions for me about what this was, please ask me anytime. I'll happy to describe. It's kind of complicated, but if you want to know about it, I'll be happy to tell you. So tell her it's complicated. Well, she- we'll you know, I'll tell you if you have questions. Always say more questions. Come to me. 
But when do you reveal drugs? At the, when she starts asking those as, as she leads you into that topic. Well, See, it's like it's the next question. Yeah. Well, is it? She's going to say. Yes. Yeah. She says, what happened? What is this condition? You know, she said that. And I said, I said, I'm not going to tell you. I said, I give it a few years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can, say, you can say, I'm uncomfortable talking about it. I'm still myself have feelings about it, but I will be happy to tell you. It's nothing to do with you. It's, and it's something that it's in my brain and it was a brain thing. It's going to be hard for her to understand, you know, brain and, and using. That's not going to be an automatic connection for her. So delaying it is fine. Um, yeah, but, but don't hide it. My daughter's only four, Dave. So I, I mean, I definitely have it easier than you. Um, Damn, I am not hungry. <laughs> I told you, man. I told <laughs> but you. But also, my head's blowing off. Uh, I'm, He's I'm having four. me suck on these nicotine pads. Yep. How do you keep that thing in your mouth? My head is coming off. I'm a drug addict. That's <laughs> dude. <how. laughs> you are, man. I am a light. Uh, I'm a lightweight. What's that? You smoke still? No, I don't. I don't. I, I mean, I desperately want to. When did you stop smoking? Uh, 2003. And have you just desperately wanted to smoke since then? Yes. I mean, not every second sure of every day. sure there's not amphetamine in there? I'm sure there's not amphetamine in there, Dr. Jesus. Um, I, I Not every second of every day, but I definitely – that's the thing that I get these um, – uh, these periodic urges for, in comparison to drugs and alcohol, where I I, I deal with it in a, uh, like a monolithic sense, I don't get these urges. Whereas I'll be driving down the street, not I'll when see you're someone using this shit. I'll see someone you're smoking. You're not having more urges when you're using this stuff. I'll drive down the street, I'll see someone smoking. I, I mean, I have an urge, an actual urge. Um, but I no, just, I get the same thing with cigarettes, and I don't yeah. with drugs and alcohol yeah. too. Let's get back to your daughter. I didn't mean to. Well, you were you, you got to remember something. Mike's a, Mike's a stimulant addict, and stimulants are about cravings and urges more than opiates. Yeah, opiates is about thinking. Your thinking gets fucked up and takes you back. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. With with now, Mike, op- tell me about your daughter. Well, I, I hear this. I I had a I kind of had a little cheat out of it because um, my brother in law, my wife's brother has dealt with alcoholism, and he, he actually, has? Well, he actually lost his legs from... Oh, was he drinking that? Yes. I did not know that. He Is got he recovering He guy? got in a train accident, and um, when he was drunk, he was blackout drunk, and he fell on train tracks in Prague and lost his legs. And oh so I, yeah. I, I, she knows that story. We were very open with my daughter about that story. So I kind of used that as an end around to, to discuss the idea that some people can't drink alcohol they do, we don't do it when uh that's uncle a great, that's a great way to uncle it. andre and your yep. your father are people that we we can't do it and i also used um i told she has a friend uh at her school i think like every uh little kid nowadays in america who has a peanut allergy oh. and he has to have when they have treats at school they have to make special ones for him and i said you know how you know your friend mickey he he can't have um he can't have peanuts because his body reacts in a negative way, and he gets real sick. I said, "That's the way Papa is with alcohol." Dave, and that's a great way to approach it. Again, that, that is how co- it's concrete, it. very concrete. And you know, to get into mental. Don't worry about mental until she's about twelve. I'll be like, darling. Whenever I take heroin, I just break out in handcuffs. I right. break out in knives. <laughs> handcuffs. Handcuffs. <laughs> I break out in handcuffs is yeah. the best. You never heard that? That is the yeah. best yeah. analogy possible. Yeah. No, so, I just if if you put clonopin in front of me, I just can't. It doesn't do well with my 
biochemistry. It's like peanuts. It's like peanuts for you. You have an allergy of the mind and body. I have a a question. And by the way, allergy is a great way to describe it with kids. Adults, I don't like the allergy analogy. But go ahead. Um, I have a question for an opiate addict because, you know, I, I... I luckily escaped any real chemical desire to do opiates. I did. I, I messed with heroin, and I enjoyed smoking it with mixed with cocaine. But I was not a, 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 a opiate addict. Now I can't I, I feel can't, my hands. Is that one of the side effects? I can't this? imagine <laughs> um, being myself and then looking around and seeing hundreds of thousands of Americans dealing with an addiction to uh, oh, right. like synthetic methamphetamine or something right, you know right, what i'm saying right. like well you've got it with Adderall right now people taking that so right but they're not throwing their lives away right. by and large you know then so, they, they quickly get to opiates <laughs> what does it look like to you i mean from your perspective are, do you, are do you just have your your hands in front of your head in in like uh, agony seeing that you know opiates something that you that you uh, fell victim to now uh, is practically an epidemic in this country practically it is an epidemic and, okay it's a pan- i think it's a pandemic yeah i agree with you um to be honest uh i feel like i dodged a bullet i think when i was using i i would get the most irrational feeling which was jealousy that these people could get pills from doctors not and irrational use they wanted. It's exactly what i said um, that that's opiate addiction you don't get that stuff no but i i totally relate yeah. i can understand if, if people told me that they had uh, an amphetamine um uh prescription prescription i'd yeah. be like what you motherfucker I, I will tell you in a treatment center when you're treating patients and somebody sneaks a drug in what the, what you get is tremendous emotional outbursts the patients all saying, "Oh, that guy is endangering me. He's endangering me. Oh my God, my sobriety!" And then when you get them to calm down and really talk about it, well, God damn it, he got to use. He didn't share it with me, he or he got to it. use, and he's still in treatment. They really get jealous. Is really what they're experiencing, even though they don't even kind of know it. Surprised? I wouldn't be even surprised if part of my reaction to Suboxone is related to jealousy. Yep. Like yep. I think we have a big mixed reaction to Suboxone for a bunch of reasons, but I know a piece of it is jealousy. That's interesting. Because they, because they get to use. Yep. I mean, and it's fucked up. Yeah. It, it's like a base reaction. I also feel sad about Suboxone because they don't get to enjoy being clean. Yeah. Well, they could, you know right? I mean? They could if if they're in the right hands, right? This is the problem I have with Suboxone is that how do you how do you select the person that can't go for sobriety and how do you get the person that is should be selected for sobriety? And then what do you do with that person once you've got them on Suboxone? It's hard. From an outsider's point of view, though, you could say, well, who's right for Suboxone? No one would have been more right for Suboxone than Bob Forrest. Correct. You know what I'm saying? So, but then you're and and uh, and uh, Shelley, and but, both of them say they'd be dead if they'd got exactly. That. Yeah. So my point yeah. is, is that that's why you, I don't know. A doctor, a trained physician, can say, "Well, this person is right for it," but yeah. then they're missing out on the ability to get the real. You're missing my point. We don't know how to select the right person. Okay. Yet. We really don't know. But it, it, this is the problem. We really don't know. Uh, now people would argue that they do, and that using anything other than Suboxone is dangerous and malpractice. And they're saying that now. But it's one of the reasons I'm out of the field right now is because I really I, this scares me. Yeah, it really scares. Me. I'm thinking about going back in, and it's one of the scariest things to me because I know I'm going to have to use Suboxone. But once you get people on it, and if you don't use it on everybody, you're malpractice. Right. Holy crap, man! This is dangerous. I mean, your buddy who we recently lost, Dave. I don't know if you want to tell that story a little bit. Sure. Um, I don't know. Like, um, I want to say eight years ago, I went to rehab and I met this guy at rehab. His name was Chris. He was crazy funny drug addict who actually dr drew had treated 
10, 15 years before me and him hit it off uh, on and off. We were friends uh, through relapses and, you know, getting straight again. And he, he had a few more years clean than I did. And he helped me get clean. I was a creative person and I was working on a bunch of projects and Chris was always like, I want to do a project with you. So I was like, dude, we should do a podcast. And he was like, what would it be on? And I would be like, it would just be war stories, be the most fucked up war stories ever. And we would call the podcast war stories. And it turned out there was a military podcast called war stories. So we called it dopey. Um, And Chris and I did dopey for, for three years. He was sober the most the whole time. Supposedly he was sober the whole time. He was definitely sober Uh, when I talked to him. When you guys, when you were there, apartment. he was he was clean as a bean, right? Yeah. He's wearing yeah. his little uh, Brooks Brothers shirt. Yeah, and he, he and he has a whole. I mean, his story is epic, epic, Ugh. epic, epic. Uh, he he and, gamed uh, the psychiatric system as well as the addiction system. Terrible. Yeah, it was terrible, and, and, but it was uh, sort of incredible more than terrible. Well, it was incredible until whatever happened inside of him happened. And I, I'm gonna say, I still smell Adderall in the in the mix. I, I smell it. I don't think so. I think he went straight to painkillers. Uh, Dave, um, I just smell it because he was in school. He was overwhelmed. He needed to focus. The the, the move of the opiate addict is to go. I'm not a. This, I'm gonna go to a doctor. They're gonna give me something non addictive. Here's Adderall. Perfect. But I think Chris was so beyond that stuff. Like in terms of he. I mean, he wanted to shoot cocaine and heroin. He didn't want to take Adderall. He, he, and he wound up shooting cocaine and heroin. And like, he, I don't think he would have pussyfooted around to get there. I don't know exactly what happened. He was getting his, well, getting his know, he was getting his side D, right? Is that what he, was he was getting his side D. He had just finished his master's. Dopey was on the rise. He has a beautiful girlfriend who was in Harvard Medical School. He was managing a sober house in Great Barrington. Uh, and he was enjoying his life. And then I think for a minute, for a week or two, he was really enjoying using with all this stuff. And then all of the stuff of addiction came back and he was miserable and despondent. And, and within a month, he was dead. Oh, my God. You know? Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. And uh, He, he was the greatest an, guy. It's Great. just another painful reminder that this is... So a fatal disease. Yep. A fatal disease. Com- that, commonly uh, fatal. Uh, Not oh, this is a fatal. This is what people don't understand. Commonly fatal. That's well. The that's part. the thing. It's like I've since then, and right before Chris died, another one of my best friends had died. Uh, before that, our first intern had overdosed. Since then, another listener died, and another listener died. So we're talking about, you know, I'm sure thousands of people have been dying, but my podcast is relatively small, and. And all of these people are dying at once, which yeah. tells me if you're fucking with opiates, there's a really good chance that you die this year. Well, this is you know? this this is the reason people get on Suboxone and Methadone and Naltrexone and other things is to because of that that data. That's what right, and I want people to stay alive. Yeah. I just have this listener, this Canadian listener who's really cool. He's uh, been off all of drugs except for Suboxone for three years. He has a three year old kid. And he wants to get off Suboxone. Maybe he should. He's terrified about the kick. Maybe he should. He's terrified. But maybe he should. Maybe he should get down to the lowest possible dose. This is the part that I'm I'm clinically unsure of. That my peers would say, why would he even think about getting off too dangerous? I think, like you, Dave, that to be truly flourishing in your sobriety, you have to be drug free. 
On the other hand, there is an intermediate step where you could get down to a low – I've seen people on very low doses where I really yeah. can't tell they're on it. I'm sure they can kind of tell, but probably to the point that it's not meaningful. So that needs to be the goal for him. Get on as little as possible. I feel like that with the Suboxone dis- distribution, and I know next to nothing about this, but from everybody that I talk to, there isn't a dose that's low enough to be as super- superfluous as you want it to be. Like it's like yes 0.5. And, yes and no. <laughs> You're, yes and no. So for some people, maybe yes, and for some people, maybe no, and we don't know for real. I right. mean, the, no, there are I people who will make the claim that they know, but we really don't know. I really don't but know. I make I make dopey now without Chris, and I I get whoever I can on to come on. And Mike, you're welcome to come on if you ever feel like it. I would love to. Um, and Dr. Drew, of course, the invitation is always out for you. But the point is, I'm doing my best with uh, with friends and whoever I can. And uh, and our listeners are very in touch with us, and it's just it's a very cool thing. The community is growing, and there's a lot of support, and I love that. Yeah. Mike has an emergency. Yeah, um, he has to go. No, I know he had to go. But what I'm going to do is we're going to I'm going to give you the the emails that we have, and you and Dave can address those, okay. and we can discuss it, sure. and we can take questions on Facebook. Perfect. But well, let me let me say though, Dave, I'm really really ser- sincerely sorry to hear about what happened to your partner Chris, Chris and yeah. uh, I, I, what you do with the Dopey Podcast is fantastic, and we I, love the Dopey Podcast. I really wish you nothing but the best, and it was a pleasure to talk to you, albeit uh, too briefly. Right on. You You stay with me, man. Mike, you get out of here. Good luck, man. If you or someone you know is dealing with addiction, someone you love, finding treatment is difficult. It's very frustrating. It is a minefield out there. And the truth is every patient's needs are different and evolving. People behind True Recovery in Orange County, California, realize that effective care is not one size fits all. That's why they have developed a comprehensive range of treatments that can address all facets of this disease. True Recovery's master-level clinicians maintain small caseloads. They personally manage your case, allowing them to personalize the care. They offer individualized treatment plans from residential to outpatient, and always with an eye on a holistic approach and a focus on accountability. And as patients become ready, this is a key part of what True Recovery offers. They offer assistance with life and coping skills, school and vocational coordination, as well as community reintegration support and aftercare. I've spoken with the medical director at True Recovery, and I was impressed with the range of therapeutic modalities and psychiatric services. Their experienced team is well-equipped to manage patients at all levels of care. To request information at True Recovery can provide you the personalized care you need, go to drdrew.com slash true. Again, that is drdrew.com slash T-R-U-E. Well, it's hard to believe a year has passed since one of the worst cold and flu seasons on record, but here we are again. So if you happen to catch a bug... Uh, one thing every doctor will tell you is stay hydrated. Proper hydration eases a lot of the symptoms of many of these viral illnesses. And sports drinks, water alone, is not the issue. You need to be aggressive. You need something like Hydrolyte, full fluid replacement. Hydrolyte is this oral rehydration product you've heard me talking about. It's better than anything out there. It delivers the right balance of sodium, glucose, and water, providing up to four times the electrolytes sports drinks can offer, all with 75% less sugar. So think about that. It's like taking an IV by mouth. But my favorite thing is at the convenience. I'm always on the run, so I use the effervescent tablets. You just drop them in a water bottle or even a glass of water. I literally never leave home without them. No one in my family does, for that matter. 
And because Hydrolite is appropriate for all ages, it's perfect for the little snowman amongst you when they come home from the school, perhaps sniffling. Hydrolite comes in great flavors, orange berry and lemonade, available in a pre-mixed drink, a powder, or, like I said, those fizzy tablets. I love those. They go everywhere. Come in a little tube. Every package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. Order your supply today at hydrolite.com slash drdrew. For a limited time, you can save 30%. We use the code at checkout, drdrew18. That's Dr. Drew18. So either click through on our banner at drdrew.com or go to hydrolite.com slash drdrew and then use that code, Dr. Drew18. Um, Dave, let's before we get to questions, let's do a little debriefing on my buddy Andy, my former patient, now friend, Andy Dick. <laughs> we want to know all the dirt on all your... Well, not the dirt. dirt. <laughs> I, I just saw a lot of social media action. and uh, Oh, you're, you want me to debrief you? Yes, because I... Well, I you're my, the last one to talk to. My him. understanding was you brought him on Sorry about he, that. he came on and was not sober, which guess what? People that are have struggled with addiction are sometimes not sober, and people reacted to that. What what happened? Well, Andy, um, first of all, I don't know that he wasn't sober. He didn't sound sober. He was very funny. He was very generous with his time. Um, so he might not have been using at that moment. He said he was not using at that moment. Okay. He says he enjoys partaking in a drink here or there. Okay. So but that's he wasn't his, drinking then. Right. That's his deal. His deal is he get, his sex addiction and his alcoholism are profound. And he can't ever quite get real about either. <laughs> he's always planning his relapse when he's getting sober. Always. Did you say his alcohol and sex addiction? Yeah, I would say those are the two those are the two kingpins in his disease. Well, he really copped to his sex sex addiction on the show. Oh, good. Okay, good. Because he doesn't always and, talk uh, to that. The audience like hated him. Why? But, uh, I Why? thought he Why? was really good. But what was the reaction? What was that all about? Well, I didn't hear it, so I want to know what your take is on what they reacted to. Well, he didn't sound sober. He he said that he was when he would get clean. He would be as miserable as he was when he was using, if not more so. So why shouldn't he drink? Which is an understandable kind of situation you know uh, it's like you're as miserable like, eh, first of all anybody around him knew he wasn't that miserable uh, except that he was planning his relapse his disease was calling to him uh and he never is really in the game he's never really fully sober he's close well, that, he's always close that's, he, he he i asked him about what being clean was like and he started to describe it in a very beautiful way like in rehab, swimming, socializing, enjoying himself in the community. And I think he, he didn't give it really a shot. Yeah. And I think the audience reacted to that. He kept trying to like divert and help have me explain Chris to him, which the audience got kind of disgusted by, but like, and he also had his girlfriend there and he, he had his girlfriend come on and I like made his girlfriend kind of uncomfortable. I asked her a lot of questions about addiction and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the two of them got pretty offended. Hmm. You know, it was a little bit, but at the same time afterwards, Andy like was very gracious and, and like complimentary and said he had fun. And I thought it was kind of fun. He had a couple L- funny bits. A- about Andy, like so many addict, is a wonderful human being. He is a wonderful human being with a very serious condition. And for people to sit in judgment of him in whatever condition he's in is, is, I think, terrible. 
Well, it's, you know, it's a podcast and the audience loves to uh, troll and talk shit. They talk shit about me. Mm. They talk shit about him. You know, that's the the name of the game. But I I wonder really, the question is, how do you get, um, how do you get him back? And I don't mean as a guest. I mean, how do you get him? Into sobriety? Well, it's. He has a family. You know, he could have any kind of career he wanted. He's incredibly talented. He's incredibly talented. Yes. He, he, I don't know the answer to that question. The, the answer in the past had always been get into a program and stay in the program, like get enough time under your belt. That doesn't, that tends not to really work either, unfortunately. Yeah. The, the answer for all of this stuff is you can't do anything, but, but wish them your best, I yes, guess. That's right. And support no. him and help him in his, in his process. He scares the hell out of me when he gets going, when he gets going with his alcoholism, he is, oh man, is he dangerous? Anyway, enough about Andy. I, I don't want to talk behind his back. He knows. He knows everything I'm saying here. I've said to him directly. Did he? Did he have his girlfriend on or his yeah, wife? His girlfriend. He has oh. a girlfriend now. Well, there's different. <laughs> this is part of the compli- Yeah, this is part of the complications, Dave. Um, was it his manager ex-wife? No, it wasn't. The funny thing was she was twenty. You know, I'll say this because he said it on the show. He said that he's not addicted to alcohol. He's just addicted to fucking his hot his yeah. hot girlfriend. Okay. So. And then <laughs> and then the whole show, you know, he's talking about how much he loves fucking his girlfriend, which is very funny stuff. And then um, <laughs> after the show is over, amazing. he texted me, "Make sure you bleep her name because we just broke up." Oh, right. <laughs> the funniest. Thing what what I like I is that- what I like is that he brings his drug of choice onto the show. Uh-huh. Which yeah. is yeah. Okay, well, you're I, right. That's the right reaction, which is. Well, I hope he's more yeah. into that than alcohol these days. Yeah, but one leads to the other. That's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. God damn it! I, I love, love that Andy. guy. Well, what about Artie? We all do. Artie was a great interview. Oh, you did. Artie. That's right. Your Artie interview was terrific too. And Artie, Artie did a weird little thing on on Twitter today where he came to the realization that people are worried and upset about his condition sure which he didn't seem to really realize at least in that tweet today i didn't see the tweet I, i've been like among the arty trolls and i'm like you know i'm over the top with it and i i actually tweeted at him today to apologize for just bugging him to come back on the show he needs someone to take i mean i don't know what Artie needs i love Artie. i'm like ridiculous Artie lang fan i just feel like his treatment was too short and while he was in treatment, they let him keep his phone. They let him go out to stand-up gigs. Right. Yeah. Like he's tweeting from – like why but, are all these celebrities tweeting from treatment? But, but, that, but that's the – right. That's the thing that Andy kind of gets into too. Like 90% in and then just enough to be out. But like Bam Margera is in treatment fucking on Instagram. Like <laughs> nobody let me keep my phone in treatment. And if I had it, I got in big trouble. What is you know, the, why does Artie go to gigs when he's in rehab? Why does Bam fucking go on Instagram to say he, he's not an alcoholic? What kind of treatment centers are these? What it's does the right? What does the big book say about that? Half measures. They avail us nothing, Doctor Drew. Thank you, sir. So, and um, I would I would even say nine tenths measures avail nothing, or, or ninety nine out of a hundred percent. You got to be a hundred percent in, unfortunately, with this disease. That's, I, that's I love Artie. I, I just love Artie. Like I cannot put a, a price tag on the amount that I, I've always loved Artie Lang. Yeah. But recently he changed his number, which broke my heart. Um, but well, he but, texted me just before that, and he's always kind of saying these weird undercurrents about how he wants to be on Dopey. 
like kind of like regular. Mm -hmm. But the reason that he didn't want to do it was because he'd have to be sober. He doesn't really, yeah, yeah, he doesn't understand recovery, you know. And um, and my heart goes out to him, and I only want the best stuff for him. Obviously, yeah. He's he, these are all, you know, whether it's um, Chris Farley or Andy Dick or Artie Tom Lane, Sizemore. These are all magnificent human beings. Do we know how Tom Sizemore is doing? Somebody wants to know. On I Facebook. haven't had contact with Sim, Tom in a little while, but last I heard, he's doing okay. Yeah, last I heard, he's, doing he's okay. working right. Yep. So that's always good. So no, um, it's not always good, but but well, I mean, it's better than just. I, and I don't mean that specifically pie. for Tom. I mean generally. When people get to work too quick, it's gonna be a problem. But okay. Any other good guests that you want to share? <laughs> um, let me. The great, you know, the great Bob Forrest is is always coming through with some with some amazing dopey. Who did we have recently? We had Bob Forrest, buddy Chuck from Don't Die, mm. who's like a clinician in Los Angeles. Um, coming up is a son of George Hamilton, Ashley Hamilton. How's he doing? How's Ashley doing? Yeah. Good? Seems great. Good. Great. Seems great. He says he's excited to come on. I'm excited to have him. Who else have we had of note lately? Oh, we had Killer Mike, the rapper, but he's not really an addict. He was great. <laughs> um, there's really, really good stuff coming up, but I don't want to like jinx it, but there's amazing <laughs> dopey stuff coming up. Good. It's going to knock your socks off, Dr. Drew. Oh, I, I'm, I'm in. And I think to... in February, I think Dr. Drew Pinsky might be coming back on the old yeah, dope. All right. Anytime be. you say. He, might be. Up to he the... may be moving to New York full That's time, so you can pr- be pr- a co-host. On producer the show. lady. <laughs> Do you have questions? Are going yeah. back to New York? Yeah, I'll be back in a couple weeks. So we have a get couple a questions on Facebook. What? Yeah, well, I want to come visit you at work. Yeah. All That's right. what I'm saying. He All wants right. free pastrami. Here's, here, let's go straight through He's questions. He's on this carnivore diet. He wants pastrami by the... By five by pound. pounds. Let's go through some questions <laughs> here. Oh uh, shit! You know who we had that I didn't mention is fucking Mark Marin. Oh no way! Yeah, I know. Yeah. Fantastic! I, I love knew there Mark. Was a good one. How was he? That was the best. He was the best. He really? was the best interview I, I ever got to do, and it was he was incredibly generous. It was just like it was it was mind blowing for me. Oh yeah. And the way it happened, Doctor Drew, I didn't have a guest lined up forever, and I didn't know how I was going to get another one lined up, and I walked outside Katz's. And I'm like looking up at the sky and I'm like, I guess I'm just going to have to have my friends on. And across the street is Mark Marin, <laughs> Like he's just wandering across the street. And I went up to him and I told him about Dopey and he knew about it because I troll him on Twitter. That's how it and works. And he came in the next morning and I bought him a lox and egg and onion omelet. Oh, he must have loved it. Uh, what is the best way to help my daughter with bipolar, anxiety, alcoholism, addiction? She's 27 and too old for my medical. We are losing her. So for this, Catherine, get your... You'll do anything for your daughter? Go to Al-Anon. Go to Al-Anon. Get a sponsor. It will change the dance you do with her. As far as her bipolar, hopefully you can get that treated. She probably wants that treated. Make sure they don't use any benzodiazepines when they treat her. But that will not stop her alcoholism. That she has to get to on her own. You and Al-Anon has the highest probability of getting through the denial on that. You agree, Dave? I agree. Al-Anon is a, is a great way to clear the decks and start over from a, a better, healthier place. Well, Scott on Facebook also had a question about the alcoholic gene. Yeah, is it a it? myth or something real? If going to AA keeps people from drinking, how is it genetic? 
it's you, the potential is genetic. You have to have the gene. Think about it this way: you have to at least like the alcohol. You have to like it in certain ways. All, all addiction has a genetic component to it. Like opi, I could never be an opiate addict because I hate opiates. I they they I just feel terrible when I take them. So that's a genetic. I'm a genetic makeup that mitigates against addiction. The higher the probability, the more you love the drug, the more the probability is getting addiction. With alcoholism, genetics are part of the story. There are multiple candidate genes. Um, you can read about it. I mean, they have lots of data on this now, and and there's epigenetic uh, elements in it too. Um, you know, one of the genes is the uh, single amino acid substitution, the GABA, a proline serine substitution, the GABA A receptor converts about a 60% probability of addiction. A LL allele of the serotonin transporter, also about a 60%. So there are multiple candidate genes that increase your risk for addiction. If you do not have a family history of alcoholism, this is alcoholism I'm talking about. I'll use these terms interchangeably addiction and alcoholism. If you don't ha- have a family history of alcoholism, you're not going to be an alcoholic. You you can see the family history. It may be very mild, and if you have a lot of trauma and the alcohol works for you, you may go to the alcohol as a solution and then trigger what is not a very powerful genetic mechanism, or you may have alcoholism throughout your family, and almost any exposure can potentially trigger the disease. So there's differing genetic risk factors. But like with anything with humans, there's gene, environment, interaction, always. How about heroin? Heroin, it's, it's you have to like it, right? You have to feel good with opiates, and so I couldn't be a heroin addict. Uh, most heroin addiction is underpinned by alcoholism. That's, but there's I other had no, no alcoholism in my family, right? None. Maybe, maybe I had a great grandfather who was supposedly an alcoholic, but then decided to stop drinking at the drop of a dime. So I don't think he was an alcoholic. Well, most heroin addicts now. Now uh, there's our genetic subsets. Certain Ashkenazi Jew subsets have a different kind of addiction than, say, an Irish heroin addict. That's a different Explain. biology. Explain. This is I'm fascinated. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I can do it with great scientific rigor, except to say that that um, the the the, you, the only time you ever see opiate addiction or stimulant addiction without alcoholism is in Ashkenazi Jews and certain Han Chinese populations. It's the only That's time. Insane. It's the only time. Every other. Uh, what's that? This is the worst thing. I mean, so this explains my whole situation is I'm yes. Ashkenazi Jew. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it's and I'm not going to say it's an easier form of addiction. It's it's it tends to be a little more treacherous. I'll, I will tell you when you when it really blows up, it, it's a cunning it's a cunning manifestation of opiate addiction. It's tough. But yeah, but no shit. but when when you do well longer term, you tend to keep doing well longer term. That's been my experience. But you got to get but getting the sobriety going is very tough, as you know. That's yeah, it really took me forever. Do you think yeah. that was Lenny Bruce's story too? Uh, yeah, if it's a Jew, it's Jew and, and drugs. It's it's a very it's a very specific subset. So you know, it's I not generally trauma. It can't be. well, it trigger trauma is what helps it along. Yeah. Tra- trauma and, and attachment and other issues are always there, fueling addiction, fueling the initiation of addiction, mm-hmm. and then once it gets going, then you have this biological process going. Um, it's. Um, Man, it's it's very it's very challenging to to get over these conditions. They are extremely extremely difficult. My husband has a seizure disorder and a drinking problem. I'm really concerned something bad is going to happen soon. He takes all of his anti-seizure meds daily, but isn't supposed to drink at all. But he still does. He refuses to admit he has a problem. Any ideas? Uh, again, uh, Lori, go to Al-Anon. Immediately go to Al-Anon. Keep going to Al-Anon. Contact his doctor and tell him or her that uh, he is drinking because his seizure disorder is probably related to alcoholism. Certainly alcohol lowers the seizure threshold but also causes seizure disorders. So you've got both 
size, alcohol withdrawal causes seizures and lower seizure threshold. So it's a very serious problem with somebody with a seizure disorder. Uh, talk to his doctor about that, and then keep you know once you get in the program of Al-Anon, you'll change the way you uh, dance with him. Hopefully, one day he'll be motivated to get care. The people, Dave, talk a little bit about what it takes to get people to a place where they want to get better, because that's the that's the real ma- the real magic, I'd say, in addiction recovery. Well, the trick is actually wanting to get better. Yeah, it's like, and, and I know that I wanted to get better forever, but I wanted to get high more. So if you have those two things kind of at odds, they always use that word um, when you're, you're, what was the word for, for when you're not sure? Ambivalent. Was, uh, ambivalent. Ambivalence. They would tell me that I was ambivalent in treatment. Yep. And it was probably yep. because I didn't know what ambivalent meant at the time. I thought they were saying I didn't care, mm. but I was totally divided because I love to get high and I was so tired of being a junkie. Right. So you you're, know, st- that, that they're, me, they're still ambivalent. You you're still ambivalent. Yeah. That's right. I was ambivalent forever. So once I wasn't ambivalent, it was very easy mm-hmm. for me. Once I was, I was definitely done and I wanted to get better. And it was really the culmination of many years of misery. And I had already stopped taking heroin for, you know, for basically five years, you know, four or five years when I got off of everything else, I had done heroin once in four and a half years. And then I, I smoked weed every day. I did pills here and there. I drank when I wanted to, but I was like, I need to get, I smoked weed every day. I did pills every week. Uh, I was still living a life that was not in recovery. I wasn't clean. The heroin I had to give up because I could not, not do it every day. And I would do as much of it as I could. So for me, once I had an inkling that I actually wanted it, I went to AA and I finally found a meeting where they wanted me to be there. They were incredibly kind and receptive to me being there. And they said, we would love it if you came back. And the fact that they told me that they would love it if I came back, I was like, I'll come back. It was a 7.30 in the morning meeting. It was on the the lower, it was in like kind of the West Village in Manhattan. And I went there every day for a year. And they were really cool people. There were a ton of junkies. They weren't all alcoholics. They didn't chastise me for talking about drugs. And I took their suggestions and my life, Within 90 days, my life got much better. I think if you have a, a habit, it'll take a little bit longer to get over the withdrawal and all of that stuff. But your life gets better way quicker than you think. That's what I think. Yeah, I'm reading a quote from uh, the First Lady of North Dakota, somebody I've spoken on behalf of. She says, this is a statewide stigma survey they did. And they found that 37% of those surveyed believed addiction is a choice. Wow. A man... <laughs> Who wrote that? When? This is just a tweet right now. Oh, I thought uh, in response to this. No, she oh, just put okay. it up there, and it just caught my eye. And it's like, oh, okay. I, I, I wish it was a choice. <laughs> It'd be so easy, and all you have to do is convince people they should make another choice. There's no rational. This is not a rational condition. This is an irrational part of the brain. This is a part of the brain that says, "Do that or else." Just nothing else matters. And you and you end up loving the drugs and alcohol more than you love anything else in your life, correct? Yeah, definitely. I, I, but the thing is that every time they told me it was a disease when I was in treatment or I was getting methadone or I was copping, I, I thought it was a choice also. I never thought it was a disease. You know, I thought like I was wired badly. I thought this is what I want. You know, this is me. And I just happened to be 
chemically dependent on these drugs, you know? So I don't think it's so weird for the North Dakotans to believe that because I, as a, an addict who, ha- who was an educated addict, it was hard for me to see it any other way. How do you see I was it? Out there. And how do you see it now? I see it as a very, very deep and, and terrible mix. I see it as an affliction, you know, that, that is a terrible burden to a, a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's, you, it's like saying it's a choice to eat. Because you because you have hunger all the time, yeah. Well, if you get rid of the hunger, you wouldn't be making that choice. But you understand. And to so, to not use, you have to be really motivated and really clear, and take lots of help because you're overcoming a very powerful drive. So, well, you're replacing this endless hole with something else. Yep. You know, they call it the God shaped hole. It is a, it is a hole inside of you that needs to get filled. And if you can fill it with something good. It's amazing that your body can respond to something. That, that's good. right. We have found this thing that fills that hole, but it takes time. What's that, Susan? What do you got? Sorry, my thing stopped for a minute. Somebody was asking how to get uh, resistant family members into Al-Anon. Yeah, Jennifer. That's, that's like trying to get an alcoholic into recovery. A lot of people don't even know what Al-Anon is. I know. And where and to I, find it. Like, it's, it's as available as any other 12-step. Just go online. They'll come get you if you want. It's a it's a program for loved ones of alcoholics and addicts, and they will support you and love you and show you how to deal with it because they're dealing with it too. And there's years and years and years of experience accumulated at Al-Anon that, that um, helps you. But through their age, it will help you help yourself in dealing with this condition. This is a really interesting question. It's a long one. I'm, I'm going to give it to you, Dave. Yeah, I think it's, it's a, a good long one, one for you. Are you ready for this? But it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. This is a 22-year-old son who's been off heroin since November 17. So what do we got? About a year and a half off. He entered re- rehab and remained sober. He got served a warrant for selling pills about three months ago. Uh, let's see. He goes to a methadone clinic. Oh, boy. Um, oh boy, this is complicated. He goes to a methadone clinic every day, so she thinks he's cured now. Uh, so I don't have to be worried because now she doesn't have to worry that he's going to overdose. My son is employed. Uh, he has more opportunities. He's a small percentage of blah blah blah. His trial is two weeks away. Uh, if he does, if he goes to jail, uh, I'm convinced he will use heroin again. Essentially, uh, so. <laughs> She needs to go to Al-Anon, of course. Um, this kid uh, needs to – he can keep taking methadone in prison, can't he? I think so, but yeah. I, I don't know. I believe that's true. Um, so he Maybe needs, Suboxone. Who knows? And, and usually we say that he needs to pay – if he were sober, which he's not, he's on methadone, which is okay. That's a harm avoidance. But a sober person would say, I have to – clean up my side of the street. Part of my amends is dealing whatever the consequences are of my disease, which for some people means going to prison. That's what they do. Uh, Right, Dave? Yeah. And and I think prison could be an amazing tool for somebody as sad as that is, because they can finally see what's happened. That's absolutely true. Clearly. So oftentimes when you're on methadone, you're not just on methadone. When I was on methadone, I never didn't buy pills the same day. I never didn't get dope before I fucking did my methadone. But you were able. I would, I would get up. I would get up at four thirty in the morning, cop dope in downtown Los Angeles, shoot it, and then get my methadone. And, and you know, you, so I could were you able to dope. work on the methadone? No, I didn't do anything. Yeah. I, I just stayed at home and watched TV. My girlfriend paid for everything. That's usually the case with methadone. How much were you taking? I was I was up to 150 milligrams. Yeah, I was going to say that usually if you're taking enough not to keep using heroin, you're on the couch. Oh, so, yeah. you know, 
Um, it's really tough for this this woman. It's a very complicated situation. I I I, I can't really make a, a you know a significant contribution to this case, except to say the cards will will fall as they may as it pertains to his legal case. Hopefully, an enlightened drug enlightened judge will uh, include some sort of drug court or some sort of drug treatment as part of his. Uh, uh, um, sentencing if indeed he is found guilty which he should be because he did something wrong and hopefully he can get tapered off stuff and really get into genuine sobriety or not in which he can get perhaps got on the lowest dose of methadone possible so wait he got busted selling pills this letter is from the mother yeah you know what my parents did they didn't do al-anon what my parents did is they went to something called families anonymous oh yeah that's another and, group yeah families anonymous like it saved their life from yeah me. We we gen- I generally that's why I, I actually will sometimes not even use the word twelve step and just say mutual aid because there's lots of different mutual aid societies that work out there. There really are, but you got to have a. It's an interpersonal disorder, the interpersonal solution. You've got well, to support other humans. They, she should know. That my parents were the most overprotective, involved Jewish middle class parents, and Families Anonymous was an amazing tool for them. It got them to uh, not be so enmeshed. It got them to live their life. It actually got them into some weird gay square dancing society in Manhattan. But that's another story. That's fantastic. Yeah. Let's see. I'm a 49-year-old male. I've been an active meth user for 31 years. Wow. Uh, Currently employed as a substance abuse technician in a 30-day, 24-hour residential. Oh, boy. Uh, Is my just being present there casting a negative light into the positive spirit of recovery and sobriety? Um, yes, you, uh, I don't understand a program that would not test its employees. Uh, you are seriously endangering the other treatment professionals there. And, uh, he knows he's being provocative, Dr. Drew. Well, tell me more. This guy is a jerk off. You know, he's like, he's bragging that he gets to go to this fucking facility high on meth. Yeah. You know, and it's obviously doing people damage and, and people tell a story But if you walk into a fucking rehab or a facility as an employee and you're high, you're doing damage. And chances are you're doing more damage than just being high. Chances are you're giving somebody something. You're definitely not passing on anything good, you know? If You know, we we like to have people in the program and in recovery, in treatment, but they've got to be fully – my my, uh, physician partner, it took him five years before he was ready to be – working around addicts. And even then under very, only slowly do we get him involved in it. It's extremely provocative to be working in the treatment field and you've got to have long-term sobriety before you should. Your thoughts about someone that's been stable on methadone for several years, but fears tapering in the age of fentanyl. Then don't taper. I mean, if you're, if you're okay and this is where you're okay and you're able to work and function and you harm avoidance and okay place for you, uh, don't taper. So my- well, I don't understand. I don't understand that question though. Well, what the you, person, they're not. They're listen. If you're, if that person going to be taper for methadone, they would have to spend a year in treatment. Let's be fair, right? And their fear of fentanyl is appropriate because they know they would use if they reduce their methadone. Does that make sense? I was on a, a crazy dose of methadone for a long time, and I tapered for a very long time. I did like a milligram a week, or you know, the lowest taper you. Could you were go. using the whole time. <laughs> no, but at the end, I, I think at the, maybe I was. I think at the end, I wasn't. <laughs> and I wasn't because when I checked in, I, I think I was at 30 milligrams of methadone. It's a lot. And I was, yeah, that was the, they wouldn't let me get lower or something like that. I don't know. I, I think you can taper and you don't have to use, I guess I used heroin again. 
you you can you can taper with a plan of getting down around twenty or thirty and then getting into treatment. But you've got to be in treatment for a long period of time because the methadone withdrawal goes on and on and on. And you know, I didn't go long enough. I, I got kicked out. Somebody threw in some fucking black tar heroin over the wall at a treatment in Tarzana or something. I wound up doing it, but I was blocked on the Suboxone. I didn't even realize it, and I got kicked out for doing dope while I was blocked. Wow. Oh, I see. You went out from methadone to Suboxone. Good. That's a good move. That's a good. That's a good yes. uh, way to go. And then that can be tapered off. That that's certainly a good way to go. Um, but again, it takes a long time. It takes a long time, and that person's fear of so you can be transitioned over to Suboxone. That that may mitigate the fear of fentanyl. But you know you, what you're saying is you're going to use if you're not in a structured environment, and that's true. That is true. You would agree with that. Paper works, but give yourself time and structure and, and patience. I, 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 again, I worry about it outside by structure outside of a sober living or a residential program. I'd be very concerned about it. These are this is dangerous disease. It's so dangerous, and she's absolutely right that with fentanyl flying around now, it's that much more dangerous. I agree. Yeah. Sorry to- so somebody has a question about alcohol. We're waiting to see what it is. But midstream, right when you were asking that really long question, we our the Facebook feed stopped. So I had okay. to start it up again. And then the then the screen was sideways and then okay. it was <laughs> Okay. But anyway, so I'm I'm getting people back on and they're gonna give they're gonna give right. my question. I'm a recovering addict and a single mother of two kids. I was wondering if it's possible to do a show on recovering addicts to show the world that you can't overcome. Let's call it the dopey show. I believe that if people saw more addicts making something of themselves, then more people would fight for their life. What do you say about that, Dave? I think that's great. Think I that's, think that's uh, anybody with a, an addiction problem, anybody who's an addict can get clean and, uh, and your life can get so much better. I mean, really like as I was getting amped up to do your show, the only thing I really wanted to get out there was that I had such a terrible life for so long and getting clean made my life so much better. I have such a good time, uh, living clean and, and like I live to have fun. You know, if I couldn't have fun, I would be using, but I get to have fun and be clean. And like anybody who, who is on drugs and wants to get clean, you can get clean and you can have a much better time than you did getting high. Yeah, there's lots and of I examples. Say, I did it. Lots of examples. Huh? There's lots of examples of people in sobriety now, lots of podcasts. This part, this life podcast, we talk about it all the time. We interview people all the time that have long-term sobriety. I mean, Bob and Shelley are good examples of that. You're a good example of it. I I, I don't know. Uh, the, the fact that she doesn't understand there's lots of it out there, um, that sort of breaks my heart a little bit. Well, when you're out there, when you're out there, you're surrounded by it. You're not, you know, recovery doesn't look cool when you're doing drugs. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you're getting high, recovery doesn't seem like even an opportunity. It seems like a resentment. Like I know when I was high, people who were sober, I was like, fuck them, you know? Well, there's a really funny phenomenon that happens with alcoholics and addicts is that they, there's something about the disease that has them experience anyone as trying to help them as trying to control them. It's so funny to me because the controlling is the last thing we're interested in. And yet that's the way it's experienced by the addict. Can you address that a little bit? I think it's all all like cloak and dagger that they will come up with any reason not to let go of the drug. And they'll say, you're trying to control me, but that really means you're not going to let me get hot. But but you're right. That's what it means. But it must feel like controlling to them in some weird way. Well, I know that I was very defiant. And I hated people telling me what to do. And I still do. You know, I still struggle with with people who are controlling uh, work when it's controlling family when it's controlling. But with when you're out there and you're using um, and someone is going to tell you what to do, 
you're not in your right mind anyway. But but let's, know, but let's break that down a little bit. Tell you what to do, I find already a, a funny construct. Because you come to a doctor and a treatment team, and they make suggestions to you how to stay sober. That's not telling you what to do. That's telling you what you need to do in order to stay sober. You're talking about a place of, of complete and total immaturity. I get it. I, I get it. But I, it's so bizarre to me as somebody offering advice and then being told you're, being, you're telling me, hey, man, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Is like, yeah, I don't want to be. I'm not interested in being the boss. But as as you, as Dr. Drew, that's I'm sure where you're sitting behind the desk and the next client or the next patient that comes up to you, you can pretty much tell who they are based on the person who says, don't tell me what to do, or based on the person who says, I'll do anything it takes to get better. Right. And, and, and that's the difference between somebody who gets sober and somebody who doesn't, bottom line. Right. Unless they're bullshitting when they say that, because well, I've said that a million times and I was bullshitting too. I, I can usually tell the difference. Of course. And, and, but sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can't. And I'll just take them at their word for the moment and we'll see how they do. Right? That's the best. I hear you. Susan, Here's what do you got there? One. For my severe pain, I was on Soma three times a day. Percocet four times, 754 daily. I was on that for 15 years. And now my doctor took me off and gave me no Somas. And now I'm on Norco. Twice daily isn't working for me. My severe pain is now my severe you know, some, pain. So now I'm taking yeah. more pills and running out right. so, within a week. Right. What do so, I do for my severe pain? Right. So that's yeah, that. And those are all in caps. So I had right, to read it. Right. There are two. There are two options for a, a case like that. One is uh, some of the pain managers might switch that person over to Suboxone, and they they tend to do better. So Suboxone is one option. The other is abstinence-based treatment in a structured environment, again, and, and really go at the pain through a multi, multidisciplinary approach, not just pills. And she's been on them so long that that may not work. So a switch to Suboxone might. But uh, the fact is um, I treated probably thousands now of people who fit that profile or something similar, and they all had their pain go from a 20 out of 10 to a 5 out of 10 just taking them off the drugs. And, and staying, and again, doing a structured treatment and with multiple interventions that go at the misery of pain, not the somatic component of pain, if that makes sense. Pain has two components. Pain is what's happening in your body. Like when you cut yourself, there's some sensory fibers that send information back to your head, but you also have a part of your brain called the insular cortex that fires off as well, which is the affective or emotional component of pain. And in people with chronic pain, that insula mechanism, the affective component, tends to be the piece that really drives the misery. And that's the part that doesn't get better with opiates or soma. In fact, it's perpetuated or made worse by that, and you can get better with other interventions. That was a good one. Okay. She said, thank you. Okay. No, she said in caps, wow, thank you. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> she yelled back. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's see here. Thoughts about this an so alcohol? so cool. Live so, questions. Yeah, I know. Facebook. See, Facebook see we could start a new show for you, Dave. Okay, thoughts, thoughts about an alcoholic in recovery about five years. That person smoked weed. Oh. This person also has been diagnosed with mental health issues, panic disorder, and depression, but haven't been able to overcome those issues. They just take prescri- prescribed meds. This person thinks weed will help their depression and keep calm. Any risk to, risks, bleh, any risk to their sobriety? taking a smoking pot yeah well sure uh some people uh anything that triggers the reward the the shell of the nucleus accumbens can reactivate the disease of addiction 
pot because it's not so powerful that way. People can do okay for a while before they sort of find themselves thinking about their drugs of choice again. Uh, and people can be on maintenance with pot. There is such a thing just with as maintenance with opiates. But it is for somebody in long-term sobriety, that person needs to talk to his sponsor. Because nice. an addict should not be making decisions about their relationship with substances ever. That Their brain can't do that. That's the nature of the condition. It's, they have to use other people, their resources, to make those decisions. Even when a doctor says, here, you need this, check in with your sponsor. So the doctor suggested that they smoke weed? No. Is that what that was? No, no. no but I was just adding that on. Because, I mean, <laughs> from where I'm from, you know, I loved weed. Weed is my favorite thing in the world. But where I'm from, I don't see how you can be sober and recovery and smoking pot. I don't think those things go together. Although I know a lot of a lot of heroin addicts who just smoke pot and they have, you know, productive lives and mazel to them. And, and, them. and mazel to them as well because why is – I don't make any different distinction between smoking the pot, taking the suboxone, taking the methadone. These are all harm avoidance strategies. These are all ways of maintaining on something – that aren't as powerful pharmacologically in terms of activating the disease as their drug of choice. So if they can get by with that, fine. But it, it's, to me, always a house of cards when people are doing that. Yeah, I just think that a lot of these people, they don't, like, realize how good it can be without it. And like, Well, not only I, that, I, but it, it's different people too, Dave. I mean, if you were to smoke pot, what would happen? I would smoke pot morning, noon, and night. Right away, and uh, and I don't know, I don't know what the next thing would be, but there wouldn't be a day that I didn't smoke pot. And, and then there you know, would, like, and I'd then like there, and then there would be I, something. There would be eventually be something, right? I'd probably wind up taking a, a Xanax, right? You know, okay. find a way that, to get some benzos, that's and right. then once that, and, and you know, then I would have to take them to avoid having seizures because I had millions of seizures because I took too many benzos, and then maybe if somebody had a Percocet, I'd be like, all right, well. Whatever. I just, um, that's just the way I am. Well, no, you know? but it's all whatever because, hey, I'm smoking pot. I'm handling it. I'm doing fine. I can handle some Xanax. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm fine. What if Chris had smoked pot? What would happen? Probably the same thing. Right. Uh, but Chris wouldn't have smoked, you know, he wouldn't have smoked pot. Chris would have fucking scored, you know, he would have gone on the dark web and scored whatever he could and shot it and immediately. Yeah. But my other buddy, Todd, who was a heroin addict, went into sober living. And when he got out, he said, Dave, I just need to smoke pot. And I said, dude, there's no fucking way you're going to just smoke pot. And he said, I can just smoke weed. I can just smoke weed. I said, okay. Within a month, he was dead, yeah. you know, of, of a, of a fentanyl probably based heroin yeah. overdose. Yeah. And he didn't even shoot dope. He barely did any. It was a tiny, tiny bit that killed him. And it was just because he wanted to smoke pot that got him there. And you know, that's fair. why I feel so and to be fair, that's the risk of staying on cannabis replacement if you're an opiate addict, as opposed to Suboxone, say, if you're going to be on something, that's a lower risk. That's more likely to yeah, save your absolutely. life. absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think he ever saw it coming up at him. And I don't think Chris ever saw it coming up on him, at him either. I think as addicts, we're stubborn and we think we can handle a lot of stuff that we can't really handle. That's right. Well, that's the disease. That's the distortions of the illness, which is why you don't make decisions with your brain that has the disorder, right? You can't be objective about your condition. What else you got, Susan? Oh, <laughs> my arms are getting tired. Okay. okay um, you're getting a lot of really nice compliments, and somebody said you need a TV show. Let's see. Who, me or Dr. Drew? I knew Dave was thinking Drew. that. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. I had I Doctor, don't you have a TV show? 
Not right now. Well, I do Teen Mom, but that's about it. Right yeah. Now. Why don't we get you a TV show? I've got a bunch of ideas. All right. Okay. Let's talk about it. If you can do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking Somebody about it. Somebody asked you if you remember Al Bowman. I hope that doesn't mean something's wrong. Remember Al Bowman? I do remember the name. He was the guy that gave me the podcast award. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. He was the guy who was, had the thing yep. at the Whiskey A Go Go. Yep. And, yep. Um, I don't know. I hope he's okay. Does that mean? I think they're just asking if we know him. Oh, okay. Hold on. I have to scroll up. There was a question up here. Do you ever have online seminars? No, but that would be a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Dave, we ought to do like an online little something, something. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like charge that. people to ask questions. Or, or sort of a, <laughs> make do, money sort of doing a, this. Sort of a comprehensive sort of. A little conversation about addiction. It's a really interesting idea. Well, I mean, this is a way we want people to listen to our podcast. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, this is just PR for our podcast. No, but no, but that could be more therapeutically oriented. Yeah. Uh, if you really did something comprehensive for, for people that are in recovery, AA question. This is from Natalie. Why all or nothing? Isn't AA like evangelical Christianity or Puritans? Why not have a program with people who want to get better and get off hard drugs and alcohol? I should be able to smoke pot versus antidepressants and still be sober. I don't fully understand the question there. I don't either. Um, Dave, but you want to make, take a crack at that? Do you get it? I really I like puritanical Christian cults, especially as a middle-of-the-road, middle-class liberal Jew. Jew. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, That's funny. Yeah, it's hard to get them to understand that it's not that. So. It's not. It's more spiritual. It's, it's everything you don't want it to be if you don't want it to work. Right. It's everything bad if you don't want it to work. Right. And I, I was there. I didn't want it to work. And I was like, fuck you. Now I, I'm so happy to be a part of it. Like, it saved my life. You know, and I, and I feel like a weird culty Christian person to say that. Well, there's, but, but they were, and there's they, about they, to be, they, and people always say it's not evidence-based. There's about to be a Cochrane review published by Dr. Kelly at Harvard that shows it is evidence-based, particularly when abstinence is your goal. It's, it's the most, it's as effective or more than any other treatment we have. And it's free. And it's, and free. it's free. It's free. It's goddamn free. And you can go anywhere. Everyone's anytime. so worried about healthcare costs, and this is this is one of the most impactful way to reduce healthcare costs. Free. Free, free. I can't say it strongly enough. Everybody if else's problem. I just want to say. I want to say one thing though that I didn't say, and I think it's very important because a lot of people, and, and I was one of them, they say go to a meeting, go to a meeting, go to a meeting, and you say, well, I went to a meeting, and I still want to use, and I still feel the same. Yeah. And the real trick about going to the meetings is actually working the program and doing the steps. It's like you can go to a meeting, and it's not doing the work. Right. It's the steps. That that causes a spiritual change. It causes a change. And, and let, let me for that, people that get a little weird about that. What that is is just a relationship with a sponsor. When he says doing the steps, he means you need to develop a very close relationship with somebody else who has been sober for a long time, who sits and listens to you and helps you with this process of staying sober. That's it. That's it. And well, I, and I, that's why I always say no sponsor, no treatment. No sponsor, no treatment. I say that all right. the time. It, but more than – I mean the sponsor is – my sponsor is amazing and I've had a few that have been incredibly helpful people to me. But the steps itself, it sounds really weird, but it clears out a channel in you. 
Like that's the best way to describe it. It it, it tore down the old structure in my mind and it let me have a, a clean slate but, to but build it a does nice it, it does it by building that in an interpersonal context. You do all of it with your sponsor and that sponsor supports you through that process. It's just a relationship. It's like therapy. It's very much very structured. It works the same as any other professionally managed therapy, but it's for a very specific problem. Very specific thing. It's not in the book. It's not so. It's not so much about the sponsor as though as I mean, as it is about the steps themselves. Why? Why are you so gung ho about the relationship Um, aspect? Well, because I I do believe it's an interpersonal experience that you have. That's why it's so powerful. Uh, And I'm emphasizing it because people get weird about what are you going to follow these steps? They just get weird about it. It's it's back to your hey man, you're trying to control me. It's back to that. Right. Right. All right. I hear you. Sponsors are great. Last question, Susan. We got to wrap yeah, this thing this up. Yeah, this is this is one that's addressing parenthood. Okay, and I got to go back up to it. Hold on. Okay, she asked a long time ago. I don't know if she's even still on this feed because I we've broken it a couple okay. times. How honest, Lori says. How honest to be with a four and a half year old whose father is addicted to cocaine and alcohol who will be going to jail for threatening his mom with a gun. Well, this is kind of where we started the conversation, isn't it, Dave, with mm-hmm. Mike? It's like, and so how do you, we talked about how to talk to somebody about recovery and a history of addiction. How do you talk to a child if, some, a, child, if a, a parent is actively addicted? It's hard. Well, I think this person might be lucky that the guy goes to jail yeah. as opposed to stays in the house yeah. with, with that situation. But he's going to go, know, but why, mommy? He, he, I, I would say something if, if there, that I would get into the brain thing again, there's a brain condition. It makes him not in his right mind and he loves you, but he, he is really not well right now. And it's making him do behaviors that, you know, and if you really want to get into it further, it's, there's a, there's a, Four and he a took, half. he took a substance. That, you know, you can't get too far into it. They won't understand. No, they won't. But, there but, must be like, well, she should go to Al-Anon first of she all. She should go to Al-Anon first of all. And, and, and just, then maybe also connect with the other parents that have the same problem. I, yeah. I, I think at four, you might want to just say he's, he's sick and not well. And, he went Daddy's on a, sick. Yeah, how about, he, with, how about he went on a trip? Yeah. No, sick and not well, and and is not. And <laughs> but is, do you take the child to see the the father in the in the jail? Well, now, it's, right? but the same thing you would do with any other criminal behavior. Yes, you would. Right. It, it, yeah. it, but you can at least explain. But it. why he's in jail? You do you he, explain he's got an. I mean, maybe you know what? Maybe you have to tell him. You can't really lie to your kids. You don't lie. You just try to keep it to a minimum as they're young. Just be very and that. They're they're safe. They're getting better. They love you. Those kinds of things are the important messages. Right. So, well, yeah. Maybe. But she do said answer it. the question as the best the, you can. Well, and then the child probably experienced trauma because they were fighting, right? Right. So then she has to get the child therapy. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we would do. Absolutely, but not everyone has access to that kind of stuff. And but well, yes, you would like she to. can go to social services. And, and sometimes, victim of violent crimes, you can get through services that that way through social services. So yeah, or, and through the maybe through the. And what you want is what's called trauma informed therapies. That's the kind of thing that child needs, yes. It's traumatic to have a parent with addiction. It's and one traumatic. that just suddenly disappears. All traumatic. Abandonment. Because you get if you if you make them the they, bad guy, then you're causing more problems. Right. You don't want to get into dad's a bad person because the child feels responsible for everything. So the child is going to feel like it's because of them that the father disappeared because of the child. The, the, yeah, yeah. The, so you the, have to explain it. You have to stay the, in the you know very you know, sort of limited area of there's a sickness. He took a substance that affected his brain. He's not in his right mind. I think therapy is the first step for uh, both therapy, of them. Therapy, absolutely. Al-Anon and therapy, absolutely. And then 100%. have them work through it. 
hundred percent. If you can afford it, but there's there's ways of getting therapy. Victims of violent crimes, there's you can get resources through that because the, there was a violent crime here. The guy attacked her with a gun, right? So, which is wrong, and yeah. he was high. So, Dave, I'm going to wrap this thing up. Uh, I really do appreciate everything you're doing as always. Um, keep fighting the good fight. Thank you, Dr. Drew. It's a pleasure. Thank um, you so much for having me on. I'd life. love to have you back on our show too. We do, and we and it's interesting. We're getting into stuff, conversations. You know, before you and I just got into war stories and how amazing Chris's disease, <laughs> how amazing his manifestations were when he was living in a psychiatric hospital essentially forever. Uh, and that he got well, and that this damn thing got him. Well, and we it, should get some more good guests together, and we'll see if we can, you know, solve all the world's problems. And as people were asking how Gary Busey's doing, Gary's great, but but we're but we're getting into the zone, Dave, where we're talking about different. There's different kinds of of recovery now, right? Because these diseases are so dangerous. There's people that are not necessarily going for abstinence-based treatment, and we want to help people with that kind of treatment as well as with uh, full recovery. Yeah, I'm trying to find a way to discuss it on my show without alienating anybody. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's the next phase of Dopey yeah. is to really discuss different possibilities for anybody who's suffering with the stuff that yep. we suffer Ex- with. Exactly. It's exactly what I hope we did today. I hope we did something. Yeah, today. go listen to the Dopey podcast and, and yeah, find Yeah, dopeypodcast.com. You can check it out. We're on iTunes. Uh, thank you so much for having me. All right, Dave. It's always great to talk to you, man. See you in New York. Thanks. You All right, live. Yeah, cool. All right, you live. See you, later. you See you next time, buddy. All right, that's about it for this episode of This Life. Check us out at KBC 790 Midday Live Talk Radio. Monday to Friday, you can also tune in every day live via the magic of the internet at kbc.com. If you miss it, we've made it simple for you to find all the shows at drdrew.com, the Adam and Dr. Drew podcast, the Zing One I Do By Myself, the Dr. Drew podcast, This Life, of course, with Bob Swole Patrol, with Mike Cantho, and his new health and fitness podcast. You can uh, find us on Twitter at This Life Podcast, at Dr. Drew, Dairy W, at Rehab Bob Forrest, and of course, our lovely producer at First Lady of Love. I think I know who that is. If you love this show, please subscribe and tell a friend. We appreciate it when you do. We'd love to hear your feedback as well. Send us a message. Join the email list at drdrew.com, drdrew.com slash contact. You'll also get a weekly uh, email from us on that. Uh, while you're at it, at drdrew.com, please support our sponsors by clicking through the banners. We only advertise products that I can get behind. So thank you for supporting them, those that support us. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.